And we are underway from Edmonton. Hockey is back almost five months after the league went on pause in early March. It's August 7th, 2020, and we have playoff hockey live from Edmonton and Toronto. Down the right wing, here comes Jake Kinsel, attacking for Pittsburgh, goes to Crosby, on goal, he shoots and scores! Sidney Crosby beats Price on the stick-hand side, and the Penguins take a 1-0 lead. Oh, buy me a banjo in Biloxi, Mississippi. The National Hockey League has returned to play, and it looks good. Even without fans in the stands, the visuals are big and bold. Now here comes Sebastian Ajo. He's got a break. In on Lundqvist. To Svechnikov. He scores! The hat trick for Andre Svechnikov. The first one in Kane's organization history in the postseason. And the Canes go up 4-1. to Elias Pettersson with his first career postseason goal. Cross the Boston line, left circle. Shoot, save, man. Score! On the rebound, Tyler Johnson! And the Lightning go back up, 3-2! On this episode of the Sports on Pause podcast, we go inside the NHL bubble with Sportsnet's senior hockey writer, Chris Johnston, and the NHL's chief content officer, Steve Mayer. Steve Mayer is the NHL Chief Content Officer and Senior Executive Vice President, which in 2020 means a lot of things that are different than his role would have been in 2019 or 2018. And so, Steve, let's start right here. Given all the challenges the league is facing and all really the new opportunities I'll see the league has in front of it, how has your role been different this year, specifically around getting the league ready to restart again? So it is very different. And, you know, I I think from day one of our pause, we just always remained optimistic, always remained hopeful that we would come back in some manner and play. But, you know, we had great proposals from so many teams. And, you know, we had a lot of options on the table to create a bubble. Um, We always knew from day one that that was, in our minds, the only way to do this and do it right. And then, you know, we waited until the right time to make the decision to go to Canada rather than the U.S. You know, I I knock on whatever I could knock on until now. I mean, things have worked out, uh, but it is all about getting to the finish line. And so every day we just never stop to make sure that everybody is complying and that we stay safe. But Uh, You know, it has changed my job dramatically. I mean, we're used to doing, you know, events and outdoor games and all-star games. And and now we're doing something that none of us have ever done before. You know, super exciting, but at the same time, very, very different than anything any of us have ever done. The logistical challenges of putting a bubble together are, quite frankly, head-spinning. And you mentioned that – you get a lot of proposals from teams and you obviously have to figure out just the logistics of hotels and transportation and meals, et cetera. I realize you could probably write a book on this, but could you give us sort of a, like a, a macro perspective on how the process comes together when you start thinking about this, how many people would be on the committees to do this? Because it just, it feels like such a massive undertaking, you know, from conception to completion. At the NHL, Uh, Because of the major events that we do, the decision was made well before I was at the league, put together 
the league's own event department. And I would safely say that that group is as good as it gets. Everybody has worked at other leagues, other events, you know, and, and they're really, really skilled. And, and so I think we all made the determination that right from the very beginning, we needed to do this in one of our arenas. Um, we couldn't go. We have proposals from North Dakota, New Hampshire, Notre Dame. Like everybody was interested in, in hosting us. But we realized that the infrastructure that our arena has is so critical to being able to do what we're doing. We're doing three games a day. You know, there's IT, there's cameras, there's positions, there's offices, there's back of house. There's all these things that an arena brings to the table that, um, you know, a smaller sort of, you know, unique environment would not work. And then the next was creating, to your point, a bubble. How do you sort of lock in an area and keep it protected and have it work within a few block radius? You know, and, and every one of the proposals, you know, had some element of that. You know, you have to have the right amount of hotel rooms. You have to have the right amount of meeting rooms. But essentially, you have to be able to connect the space. And it, without that, you know, it becomes really difficult. And if you look at our two bubbles, they, they are very different. Dean Matsuzaki runs our operation in Toronto. He's actually dealing with two unique bubbles, two that are connected by a transportation system. I'm dealing with one, really, look, there are two bubbles for me, but there's just a hotel that's bubbled. And then I've got three hotels here in Edmonton that are uniquely connected through a fencing system. So we needed to know that we could do that. Uh, and that was really important. And then what's in the bubble is the next piece. You know, our players are used to going to one hotel, taking it over, having every ballroom, the great restaurants. And, and believe me, these are not, you know, low end hotels. So how do you do something that your players are going to go, ah, it's not bad. Give them restaurant choices, activity choices, exercise areas, you know, team lounges, player meeting rooms. Your, your coaches want video everywhere. They want to be able to watch games. They want to be able to break down games. You've you got to build all this out within this environment. We knew what we needed to do. Uh, we were scared out of our mind to be able to pull it off and – Somehow it's, it's worked. I mean, I also think what's helped is that the players, the teams, the management came here with a really amazing attitude. Like they did not come here looking for, you know, the greatest hotel they've ever been in and, you know, eating steak dinners and $1,000 bottle of wines every night. They, they came here with the sort of low expectations. I mean, one of the biggest comments I get is this is so much better than I thought it was going to be. And in some ways, that's a compliment, a really nice compliment. And that's what we strove to do. And that's what I think we've accomplished here. So how much did you consult with other leagues as you were deciding what exactly you were going to do and really how you were going to do it? Not a lot, but a little. Uh, but I will say we, we have our eyes and ears open to everything that's been done. And we learned a lot from what was done before us. So... I never watched so much Korean baseball and Bundesliga in my life 
but that was like important. You, you had to watch what was done there. We knew what the NBA was going to do. We knew what Major League Baseball was going to do. We, we were aware of MLS. We talk a little to the other leagues. We had one actual call that was put together by a company called Populous, where a lot of the event producers like myself and Dean, we were on a call with everybody together. And that was actually, you know, quite enlightening. I mean, that was a really great call. But for the most part, we've been looking, learning, and we felt like some of our decisions were absolutely made by watching what others have done. Um, you know, especially on the other side of things for me, which is more of the game presentation, the look of the arena, the the broadcast. You know, we went to school, no question. But at the same time, you know, what I'm really proud of is from day one, this is what you're watching. This is the way we wanted to do it. And we tweaked along the way and we confirmed along the way that, you know what, we want to do it this way and we see it being done Maybe another way. Uh, you know what? We got to stick to our guns. This is the way to do it. From the setup we see on our TVs, what's most impressive are the massive in-arena monitors. What was the cost associated with installing all those monitors in both Toronto and Edmonton? Um, millions. You know, I wanted to replicate and have it look the same. I mean, that was the other thing we struggled with is just... Man, those are, to your point, they're massive screens, and it's also the coordination. I mean, all those screens are separate feeds, so you can, nine separate feeds go into them. And Richard, you would know, like, you know, it's like a TV truck that's producing just the screens. But it's, you know, listen, I, I know the exact total. I don't want to really talk about it, but we're spending millions of dollars on that set. But it was about just building a television set. It's just a television set. It's a made-for-television event, you know, and, and you'll see some of the things we're going to continue to do with those screens, you know, to storytell. I mean, I think as we get to the final and we're really in sync with the broadcasters, so many stories are going to be told through those screens and the set design. Steve, what are the things that keep you up at night? You know, I keep on getting asked that question. Uh, first of all, I'm so tired. I, uh, nothing's keeping me up at night for my four or five hours that I sleep. You know what? The responsibility that lies on our shoulders of getting to the finish line. I, I think that's probably the number one piece of this. You know, every day is a win when we get through it with no positive tests and have great hockey. There's no question. That's the goal. It always has been. And, Every day we get to the next day is a huge win when you're in a bubble and you're in a situation like this. But I probably won't clearly feel like we're out of any of this until that cup is raised. And, you know, I'll feel like this has been a, a cool accomplishment. But yet, I've said this many times, we're going to have problems. There's things that are going to happen along the way. You know, this is 2020. Welcome to 2020. There's no way that there's not going to be, you know, issues and this is not going to be perfect. And, and it's just how you react to all that, how you deal with that, that makes you get through the night and get some sleep. I mean, and that's where I have all the confidence in the world. You know, we keep on having little issues, but we attack them immediately. And we're so numb to problems that in the past would make like us go crazy you know, I get a call, 
an air conditioning unit went down at one of the hotels. We'll send over somebody over and fix it. I mean, in the past, that would have like set alarms off. But now we're just so numb to just about everything that we just attack each and every issue. I mean, we get it fixed. And we had a flood before this got started inside the building. The roof fell off. I mean, like, okay, we'll, we'll fix it. We'll be ready. And we did. And so I think we're used to a lot of different things happening. We've been doing events for many, many years, this team. And this is the perfect you know, timing for you know getting through the event portion of it and then we just pray that we stay safe but we've really you know done a lot of smart things to make this a safe environment you mentioned the presentation of the sport in arena on broadcasts you know in the bubble itself in the respective hub cities and it all looks top-notch so congratulations to you and your team for that thanks but some people have been critical of the fact that Black Lives Matter, the anti-black racism movement hasn't been more visible or shown in a more forceful way. And full disclosure, I've been critical of that fact as a media member, as a viewer, as a consumer. Those three words have meant a lot to me. What was the thought process behind the conscious choice of not using those words? So, I mean... It's visible in the arena, and obviously we did an opening with Matt Dumba speaking. I'd like to say thank you to all the fans watching at home and all the people making a positive difference in our world right now. We appreciate you. I know none of us need to be reminded about how our day-to-day lives have been affected by the outbreak of COVID-19. So I hope the Stanley Cup playoffs can bring a little normality and peace of mind during all these times of uncertainty. I'll transition topics to a topic that is very important to me, my fellow members of the Hockey Diversity Alliance and the NHL. During this pandemic, something unexpected but long overdue occurred. The world woke up to the existence of systematic racism and how deeply rooted it is within our society. For those unaffected by systematic racism or unaware, I'm sure that some of you believe that this topic has garnered too much attention during the last couple months. But let me assure you, it is not. Racism is a man-made creation, and all it does is deteriorate from our collective prosperity. Racism is everywhere. Racism is everywhere. And, And we need to fight against it. On behalf of the NHL and the Hockey Diversity Alliance, we vow and promise to stand up for justice and fight for what is right. I know firsthand as a minority playing the great game of hockey, the unexplainable and difficult challenges that come with it. The Hockey Diversity Alliance and the NHL want kids to feel safe comfortable and free-minded every time they enter an arena. So I stand in front of you today on behalf of those groups and promise you that we will fight against justice. We will fight against injustice and fight for what is right. I hope this inspires a new generation of hockey players and hockey fans because black lives matter. Breonna Taylor's life matters. Hockey is a great game, but it could be a whole lot greater 
And it starts with all of us. The other opening clearly talked about Black Lives Matter. We have said we skate for Black Lives. You know, we are going to, as you saw from this past weekend, have begin moving from talking and emotion and listening to, to action at the league. And Kim Davis runs our SGL program, and she's done an amazing job since joining the league. Uh, there was a decision to We Skate for Black Lives Matter as an organization, and we felt We Skate for Black Lives is more apropos. I, I mean, we're going to do quite a bit of content over the course of the next weeks while we have, you know, a very captive audience, you know, to talk about how we at the league will help in our all of our goals to end racism and to move into action. And, you know, and I appreciate where you might be coming from. I mean, that's a short answer. I mean, Kim could speak to it even greater than, than I can. Uh, but again, you know, there is, you know, prominent pieces in the arena, but that's nothing. Those are just signs. It's what we're going to do outside of the arena. That's the most important thing right now. And that whatever we can do to work together with our players to strive for that common goal is the most important piece. Steve, um, one of the realities of this is that we don't know what the unknown is. We don't know what's going to happen next year. From your perspective and from the learnings that you've had already, understanding that there's going to be more learnings heading forward, can this bubble be duplicated in five months, six months in the event that North America is just not in a place where we can go back to cities to play with, with crowds? To answer your question, the answer is yes. Um, but, I mean, our, our hope is that we begin our season with fans in some manner you know, we, we've talked a lot and, and our commissioner has mentioned, you know, a couple of dates that are out there for us to start. It's hard to predict what we're going to do in a month, let alone three months. But could we duplicate a bubble? Yeah, I, I think we could. I mean, I think we, we've we established how to do it. We've learned so much. Um, I do think that certain places could not handle what Edmonton and Toronto can handle just because of the COVID numbers on the outside, you know, and I, and I would fear, you know, there is a fair amount of people who are all tested on a daily basis and who are in groups that, you know, I know when I walk into to my building in, in Edmonton that, you know, this is a person that I should not get next to. This is a person that I could get food from, but I shouldn't have a long conversation from. We're all very educated. And it's amazing how when you're in the bubble, it's become second nature. The mask goes on, the social distancing happens. You're, you're very conscious of how long you're talking to anybody, whether they're in your group or they're not. And I watch the players, same thing. I mean, you know, players admittedly the first day or two, they weren't used to masks all the time. And and our security team is riding them like you wouldn't believe. And now, I mean, it's amazing. I mean, it's really nice to see how everybody is masked up. And, you know, the only time they don't wear a mask is when they're eating or drinking. But, you know, I think because of what we've done here, 
it gives you the the hope that you could establish another bubble. Do we want to? No way. I mean, I, I hope I never do this again. But if we had to, in order to get our season started, yeah, we could do it. Sure. Steve Mayer is the NHL chief content officer and a senior executive vice president for that league. He has been part of this massive, um, massive undertaking in Edmonton and Toronto when it comes to these two hub cities. Steve, we wish you the uh, best of luck heading forward. Thanks so much for joining us today on the Sports on Pause podcast. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate your time. Well, that's really interesting stuff from the NHL's chief content officer, Steve Mayer, who has a massive, massive job when it comes to making sure that this bubble is successful. One of the interesting things, certainly for me, and I would imagine for a lot of hockey fans out there, is what is it like to be a reporter inside the NHL bubble? What kind of access do you have? How is it different than what you are used to? And for that, we go to Sportsnet's senior hockey writer, Chris Johnson. He's our next guest on the Sports on Pause podcast. So you definitely know the face, the voice, the writing, the full beard of next guest, Chris Johnson, who you know from headlines on Hockey Night in Canada, where he's breaking news all of the time. He's a senior hockey writer for us here at Sportsnet, and he is one of the chosen few to have the opportunity to cover the game inside the bubble at a real high level for us. And let's start there, actually, CJ. Take us through the process of covering the sport right now for you in the bubble in a hub city with social distancing measures. What's that like for your day-to-day? Well, it's kind of interesting because it's actually, in some ways, a lot easier. I mean, this certainly presents some challenges from a work standpoint, but just physically getting in and out of the building is is easy because there's not 19,000 fans trying to get in at the same time. So I find just getting to the arena, there, there's no traffic around there. You walk in and, and you know, you're doing a temperature check and, and answering some questions about if you have any symptoms, you go through metal detector, and then you're basically in. And so it's not as complex because there are so few people allowed in the building and, and coming and going that, you know, it's sort of peaceful. It's funny. I, I can leave my house much closer to game time and get there with confidence than I would in a normal setting. CJ, as a sort of on a macro level, how have you found the bubble to be just in terms of protocols, in terms of your own personal observations on safety, and then even what the sort of the players have just said about the environment? Well, it, it seems like it's going remarkably well. And, you know, I think it's important to point out we're, you know, we're only not even two weeks into it from when the players moved in. So, you know, I think that some of the strains of being behind fencing and all that will, will, you know, probably be felt more acutely by the players and the staff the longer they're in there. You know, the teams that play, you know, right to the final, you know, I, I imagine it'll get a little stranger for them, for example, to be around their colleagues on another team, the deeper they get into the playoffs and the, and sort of the more, that's at stake for them. Players, honestly, I think maybe had a low expectation rate for this. Let's remember the NBA moved into its bubble a couple of weeks before the NHL did. There was, you know, I would say a fair bit of complaining about the food and some of the things that were going on there. And so, you know, I think players here were, were thinking it was going to be poor conditions. And then, you know, they've been pleasantly surprised, you know, just by the number of restaurants they can have, 
you know, some of the things that have been set up for them to, to go outside in Toronto. They can use the BMO field, for example, uh, where Toronto FC and the Toronto Argonauts play. And, you know, I get the sense that a lot of teams have been able to do that. We've had good weather here in Toronto the last few weeks uh, for the most part. So, you know, I, I think it's it's gone well. The fact there's been no positive tests, knock wood, has given everyone a little bit more confidence in the protocols that are there and, and what's being asked of them. And, you know, just my own experience, I don't have full access to the bubble. I'm considered group five, which is the lowest level of access. So I, I can't go everywhere and so I can't see everything. I, I found I just get used to it as, as time goes on. With each passing day, I'm focused less on, I guess, what's different and just more on what's there for me. And, and the games have been really good. You know, after a period of time, it was, I don't can't even explain why, but you almost stop thinking about the fact there's no fans. You know, it, it doesn't really take away from my experience of even being in the game. And probably the only thing is just wearing a mask for the amount of time some days I have. You know, days I've gone for three games, you're in the building for 10 or 12 hours, you know, and you got to wear a mask the whole time. I mean, that's a little different, you know, whereas now I'm wearing it when I go to the grocery store. But when I come home, of course, I'm not in a normal day. But, you know, I think it's working really, really well. And um, I think I'm pleasantly surprised by how not weird it is uh, after a period of adjustment here. What has that adjustment been like for you because of the level of access or lack thereof? You, by definition, are an insider, which means you have a relationship with lots of people in the business. We are in the relationship business. So you have conversations with guys one-on-one outside of the scrums. You're walking with players to and from their cars. You're going on walks with scouts and executives. Now, all of that goes away. How do you still get the same level of information even though you don't have the same level of access? Well, the truth is I don't. You know, it's just not there for you on the same level. Uh, I think it's those casual conversations sometimes that can be the best source of information um, in doing my job. It's going to the morning skate. You know, right now we're speaking on a game day. Normally around this time, 10.30 in the morning, you'd be at the skate at the arena. There's executives from the teams there, the coaching staff, the players, the extra players, the trainers. You know, there's there's a lot of opportunity just to bump into people and, you know, follow up on something you saw in the previous game or, or you know, ask what's going on. And, and those those opportunities aren't there. I mean, obviously, I'm still using my phone. I'm texting the, the guys I have relationships with and, and, you know, the odd phone call here and there, too. But, you know, something is lost in this um, for me personally. And, you know, I don't want to make it about that because I think we're all sort of dealing with different conditions in our lives right now. But it's a challenge, and, and I'm finding, quite honestly, the Zoom availabilities that the league has set up, I mean, they're, they're basically useless for what I do. I mean, I, I go on them, I ask questions, I participate, but I'm finding even in my writing, I'm, I'm using less and less quotes from there just because they're all on Twitter long before I would ever have a chance to write. Um, I can't get anything unique that way, and I, I do think part of our job, even in a, a fairly big media market like Toronto, especially on a team like the Maple Leafs that are heavily covered. I mean, you're, you're trying to find things other people don't know. You're trying to give insight into what's happening that other reporters can't do. And, and there are some pretty big challenges here to that. But I'm trying to embrace the positive and making more phone calls, finding outside voices outside of the series and not relying on maybe as much of what I would normally get in the arena because there, there's much less there, I think, to serve our viewers or our readers uh, than, than would typically be so. So just to follow up on that point, though, how much of this new normal do you fear will be the constant? Now that we've lost some access in terms of us in the media, do you wonder if we're ever going to get it back? Absolutely. I think it's it's hard not to. And, you know, I, I serve as a vice president 
with the Professional Hockey Writers Association. So I've been involved on some level with uh, discussions with the league about that very point. And on two different occasions, we have it in writing from Bill Daly, the Deputy Commissioner of the NHL, that at the, the soonest possible availability that, you know, what was our previous normal will, will be restored. But, you know, I think, well, I believe what Bill's saying. Absolutely. I, you know, I have no reason to doubt it. his sincerity in those claims. You know, when is the new normal going to be? You know, I, I don't think any of us have uh, an idea about that. I, I don't know when fans will be back in, at least in full buildings or even partially. I, I mean, we're, we're facing a very uncertain future for the, for all of sports, I, I would say. You know, I think media access will be part of that. And, and, you know, I'm sure there's parts of this the teams do like. I mean, they have far more control over the message this way. They have absolute control over who we talk to um, because there's been instances in this, you know, playoffs where, you know, there's been a player that I was like, oh, I'd love to talk to him about this this or that. And, and you don't get a chance to speak to that person after the game because the availabilities are limited. And so, you know, I do think it's possible we're facing a world where that will uh, will be the case. And, you know, if that is the case, I, I just choose to think that there's still ways to do your job above and beyond. You, know, you just have to be creative. You have to be, can't get discouraged. You have to push through some of the obstacles put in your way and find ways to do it. But um, this could be the new normal. I mean, I know in, in soccer, for example, in, in Europe, uh, there's there's much less sort of day-to-day uh, mingling or, or access between reporters and, and uh, the players especially, and, and, you know, that might be the case here in the NHL and, and other sports moving forward. You know, I asked this question understanding that people every day have to make decisions about their health when it comes to COVID, whether it's a hospital worker, whether it's a doctor, whether it's just somebody taking the TTC in Toronto. So I, I understand the, the sort of larger context, that, and we're not trying to make what you're doing sort of anything bigger than what anyone else is doing. That said, there is for anyone who's covering either the NHL, uh, the NBA, certainly this is going to happen with the NFL in North America, a bit of a health conversation or with the, either yourself or your family. And I wonder for you, um, how did you sort of navigate the idea of this is what I do for a living and and I cover the National Hockey League with, you know, the real realities that like once you sort of head inside a, a bubble environment, there is at least a sort of a, a, a sense of risk. You're not home. And you're expanding your sort of contact with human beings. So I'm wondering just how you sort of navigated that in your own life. I probably didn't think about it enough, if I'm being truthful. <laughs> you know, I, I love what I do. And I was really excited by the opportunity to get to be one of the people to go to the games. You know, really, I'm, I'm putting my faith in the medical expertise that the, that the NHL has, has leaned on. You know, I can say my wife and I have, have been very uh, disciplined with the way we've gone about our own business since March. You know, we, we are not going to restaurants. We're, we're not jumping right into all the things that have opened up here in Ontario. Uh, it's not a criticism for anyone who has. It's just we've elected to be on the far more cautious side of things, you know, not wanting to put our parents at risk or anyone else we care about uh, for our own enjoyments or pleasures. So, you know, it, it has been a little bit weird to go back into a social environment because I've really have avoided that for, for almost five months now, uh, since it really, you know, became a concern here in North America. So I, I don't know if I put my head fully around it. Uh, I, I follow everything we've been told to do to the letter of the law. I keep my distance from my colleagues. I'm not shaking hands like I normally would or giving anyone a hug. You know, I, you know a lot of these people that I'm seeing in the arena are my close friends. And, and in a lot of cases, I hadn't seen them since the last time games were played, but I'm just, 
just hoping that what we're doing is right and, and that uh, the league is going to protect us. But let's face it, no one has that certainty. I think as we all get back to work in various forms and lots of industries, people are going to be faced with that same problem as, as offices back up. Uh, you know, my sister's in the banking industry. She started to go back into her office once or twice a week now and has had to kind of confront the, the new reality. And I think we all have to either accept some degree of risk in, in our lives or not. Uh, but in my case, not doing that would, you know, limit my career opportunities. And so if I'm being totally honest, I'm taking a little bit more risk on, but it's because I love what I do and I, and it's an honor to get the chance to keep doing it. Well, I'd be remiss if I didn't actually ask you about the product on the ice, the game that you love. It's been fun to watch for me. It's almost like living on the West Coast with hockey games all of the time. And I'm trying to talk myself out of placing money on Chicago and Montreal right now, potentially meeting in the Stanley Cup. But to me, this has really been like a sociological experiment on things like how much does rest matter in comparison to rust or how quickly can a team build or maybe even lose chemistry from the hockey perspective? What have been your biggest takeaways of the games this far? I'm shocked. Honestly, I thought the games in the first week would be, I mean, maybe entertaining, but I thought the quality of the games would be much less. I I thought that there would be no defense being played it would be back to the 1980s with when goalies barely wore equipment and eight, six finals every night. And, you know, obviously the, the Edmonton Chicago series in particular featured some scoring, but for the most part, this has resembled exactly what the playoffs would look like in terms of gameplay uh, with everything, but you know, the fans and the fact it's August instead of April, you know, I've been really pleasantly surprised by the intensity. You know, the very first game played of this playoffs was game one of, of New York, Carolina. It was a noon start local in Toronto and there was a big hit in the first minute. Uh, there ended up being a fight. There, you know, there was emotion right from the beginning. And I mean, that's I think in part what people love about the Stanley Cup playoffs is is even if you don't understand the sport on a, on a deep level, if you're just a casual fan, you can see how much it matters. You can see the buy-in. You can see the sacrifice that goes into trying to win. And you know, we've had that all. And it also shows us the players care. And and. Part of me wondered about that. I mean, we've never gone through anything like this. And, and these, you know, some of these guys have sat at home for months and maybe not had access to the kind of gym equipment and certainly did not access to ice, you know, to skate on for that entire time. And I just didn't know where their, their buy-in level would be. And, and from the part I can see, it, it seems to be incredibly high. And, and you're right. We're, we're now in the ultimate chaotic tournament. If you told me, you know, I had to bet my house on which team's going to win. Like I would have no idea who's going to win the Stanley cup. Like I don't, I would say normally I could narrow it down at this stage of the playoffs to four or five teams comfortably that it's going to be one of these four or five, depending on who stays healthy and some of the, the bounces and things that happen in hockey. You know, I think that field has been expanded here. You know, I, I really believe the teams that have got a chance to play this initial best of five qualifying round are going to be in a better spot when they come up against the strongest teams in the conference next round, just because they're, they're kind of already in the fight. They already got some confidence going by having won a series. As you well point out, I mean, a number of teams had significant injuries that have been healed over this time. It's a sporting experiment, but you're right. I, I like the, the psychological aspect here. I mean, whoever can handle the cabin fever and the bubble and all the things that, that come with that, I think will be in an advantageous spot. And so, you know, this this is compelling sporting theater for me. And, you know, I really think that 10 or 12 teams could probably win the Stanley Cup this year. And, it, and, I, and it's not a, a crazy thought. And, and it looks like, based on where we're sitting today, that 
we're on the cusp here of some potentially some rather large upsets with teams that let's call it as it is. Montreal had no business making the playoffs. I mean, there was no scenario in the normal 16 team playoffs on March 12th where they were going to make it. They sold off four or five players at, at the trade deadline, uh, thinking of the future. You know, it was punting on the year at that point. It was rebuilding. Chicago's in the same spot. And both of them, as we're talking, are up 2-1 against two of the better teams in the league. And so, you know, if they move on to the next round, we truly have chaos in our times. And, you know, I think it's entertaining. It's probably not entirely fair. But what have we learned in 2020? Not everything is fair. Yeah, true enough, my friend. What a year. 2020 has been no matter who lifts the cup this year we know one thing you will be there covering it from a distance he is the pride of Coburg. you can find him on twitter at reporter chris is the handle and you can see him all over our coverage including on hockey night thanks so much for this chris no problem my dad always said i have a face for newspapers but i'm trying to challenge that thought well our thanks to steve mayer and Chris Johnson for their insights into um, what the NHL has been like inside the bubble. I have the last word this week, which is when we offer some things that we've read or heard or seen that um, are related to COVID-19 that may be of interest to you. So I have um, two from Wired that I want to recommend, two pieces. First, COVID-19 data in the U.S. is an information catastrophe. That's by Marin McKenna, and uh, it just offers uh, a very troubling look at the rerouting of CDC hospitalization figures that have raised significant accuracy concerns. And then another Wired piece, this one by Stephen Levy, Anthony Fauci explains why the U.S. still hasn't beaten COVID. That is a look from uh, America's top epidemiologist on the hostility towards science and vaccines and where we are with school reopenings, regardless of where you live. I think that's um, that's pretty vital reading. And again, can't recommend enough Ed Yong's uh, cover piece for The Atlantic on COVID-19. Just continue to read him. Uh, pretty extraordinary reporting. What do you have this week, Donovan? Well, Richard, one of the things actually that popped into my mind when Steve Mayer was talking about dressing up the two respective arenas was actually a podcast that's coming out tomorrow, Swinging a Belt with Dan Schulman. He's joined by Blue Jays GM Ross Atkins to discuss the work that went into retrofitting their new home in Buffalo. So across sports, teams are working to address what is a new working relationship with the spaces that we see are beautiful games. You know, one of the things we did see in arena with the NHL was they honored People who were a part of and still are a part of our fight against the virus, COVID-19. And they highlighted some ordinary people that did extraordinary thing and went as far as to call them heroes. And I think that term is fine, but I also love to read opinions that are not mine. So there's an opinion piece that I think will make you think. It's in the Sydney Morning Herald by David Berger. And the title says it all. Please stop calling healthcare workers heroes it's killing us. Again, it's in the Sydney Morning Herald. It for sure, whether you agree or disagree, it'll make you think. Man, we got a lot of good stuff in this podcast. Thank you again to Chris Johnston and Steve Mayer. Enjoy the return of hockey. It's amazing. It's We're not really in the playoffs yet, even though these qualifiers feel like playoffs. But no matter where you're watching, please stay diligent. Continue to 
take care of yourself and others.